Welcome to the Age of Audio. My name's Graham Brown from the award-winning podcast agency Pickle & Co. The Age of Audio is a series of conversations with thought leaders and changemakers in the world of audio. That's podcasts, radio, and social audio converging with big data to create engaging and authentic content for a new generation of listeners. Right, Neil, let's get going. Let's jump straight in. I'm a big fan of the podcast that you do. You do some amazing work there. You do some very varied brand original podcasts and I love the formats that you use and you know you've taken often very dry subjects and make them interesting and they could have been done in very standard you know like boring interview formats but even like when you're doing interviews they're kind of interesting like the the work has obviously been done in behind the scenes how, how have you approached your podcast differently to let's say just the average podcaster who sets out with a microphone and this is what I want to talk about. Sure. Well, I mean, to be honest, thank you very much. It's kind of you to say so. It's been really rewarding in the sense that we made a definite play to be in the branded space and the branded space of, of podcasts in, in particular. One of my fears with that was that we were going to end up making quite dry podcasts, as mm. you say, you know, a, a lot of, um, and, and, and we get a lot of inquiries from corporate saying can we have our marketing director speaking to the ceo for 45 minutes please and despite that being the starting place normally it's not where they end up because our mm. job is to try and persuade them to create something that doesn't just serve their purpose but obviously serves the listener's purpose so it becomes something that the listener genuinely wants to come back and make an appointment to listen to the wider question though about how we differentiate what we do from uh, lots of other producers is that our background is in radio. So my background is in 20 years of working for the BBC. Many other of our, all our producers come from a broadcast background of some description or other. And mostly that is either BBC or, or global radio in the UK. And my attitude has always been that the rules of audio of creating engaging, fascinating, entertaining audio are not new. They've been mm. around since, you know, BBC Radio has been around since 1922. It's not, a, it's not a new thing. And the rules of how to create something that's great to listen to have evolved over 100 years. So when you're creating a great podcast and you want to create something that people genuinely, as I say, want to listen to, the answer to that is not to rip all those rules up and say, this is a whole new medium that we're just going to place an iPhone in front of ourselves and talk and think that we're fascinating to listen to. The reference points are... Why is radio a successful medium that hasn't mm. died you know, despite TV and everything else? What makes a great radio show? Why would I stick listening to a great radio show? And it's simply talented presenters, people who are interesting to listen to, well-curated content, uh, well-thought-about content, You know, pre-production that involves having a call with the guests beforehand to work out how interesting they're going to be, what the best things to, to talk about are, and what the structure of that conversation is. And that's that comes from being a radio producer. It comes from, even if you don't have a background in radio, just thinking about what the rules would be or researching what the rules would be if you were creating a radio show and understanding those. And I say, not just turning on a microphone and thinking that because you're 
fun to listen to for your friends in the pub that you know thousands of other people are going to want to listen to you they're going to want to listen to you because you've got something interesting to say and you say it in an interesting way so let's go back to that example okay i'm the marketing director i want to do a 45 minute dialogue with my ceo which will be the ceo talking for 40 minutes and me five yeah. minutes of questions right if i'm lucky and that's the starting position because that's all i know i'm a SaaS platform let's just say i'm technology software company where is it that you want to get me to this that really push the envelope on what we can do with this like how do you start with that and where is the kind of end result with that so the starting point is always who's the audience so the starting point no question who do you want to talk to what do you want them to feel think or do differently as a mm. result of hearing the podcast it doesn't really matter what you want to say to start with we'll get to that the point is who do you want to listen and why do you want them to listen and what do you want them to do as a result i, I freely admit that in the early days of podcasting particularly when we got into the branded area we made quite a lot of what you would frankly call vanity projects for people so you know podcasting's cool we think we've got something interesting to say or mm. we need to have a podcast because everybody else has got a podcast which is you know a, a common and and not you know that's not an illegitimate reason to do it so we made quite a lot of those, but what we always found when we got to the end of series one was everyone looked at it and went, well, that was fun. Nice for the CEO to have some time chatting, but what does it actually achieve? So perhaps slightly counterintuitively, you start the process by saying, how would you judge this to be a success at the end? Hmm. That then informs what you do. So frankly, if the end result is that you want to be seen as a thought leader or you want to build the profile of your CEO to be a thought leader, then actually the CEO talking might be a legitimate format in order to do that. And, you know, we make podcasts where the CEO talks. That's absolutely fine. But thinking about what they're going to say and why they're going to say it is the important thing to start with. And then actually what we what we then refer to is just storytelling. And I know this is mm. This is becoming a cliche in, in the podcast world, really, if podcasts are about stories and, and creating a podcast is about storytelling, but it's true. And therefore, where are the stories within your organization? The stories may well be not at the top level. The most interesting, you know, lots of organizations, and as you say, it might be a software company, it might be a shipping company, whatever. Lots of the stories that are fascinating people don't exist at the top level. They exist on the shop floor. They exist mm. in the port that you operate in or the, or the place where your customers are and so taking your sort of head out of the sand and looking for where those stories are and how you can tell them is the conversation that you need to have around mm. what would make a great story uh, and it might be that you know say i keep saying it but your marketing manager and your ceo might well have great contacts in that but mm. they'll probably run out of stories quite quickly and keeping the client being a, a critical friend is the role that we play. Hmm. We work with, you know, organizations like Shell. So, you know, massive corporation with 80,000 employees, but they trust us to kind of go, no, stop. This sounds like an advert or it sounds like greenwashing or, you know, whatever Shell could be accused of. They trust us to sort of say, actually, do you know, this is a bit boring or this is a bit corporate and well, you're mentioning Shell too many times. We need to bring in a third party contributor or we need to interview someone who's got a better story to tell and the good clients the ones who stick with you are the ones who listen to that advice and then take it on 
So let's talk about some of the clients and how you or how you did approach that and made the stories interesting. And I'm just going to pick some random ones from the wall behind you. You've got this wonderful yeah, okay. wall behind Neil yeah, at the is. moment. It's got all the different podcasts that they've worked on. So we ha- I'm going to pick three randomly, and then I want you to just kind of walk us through like how you applied that sort of storytelling narrative to it. So the Beauty Podcast by Avon, Parliament Explained by the UK Parliament. Uh, and the people of Hitachi, let's pick those three. So we've got the Beauty Podcast by Avon, Parliament Explained, and the people of Hitachi. These, these are of a wide range. How do you make yeah. those interesting? Okay. So let's start with the Beauty Podcast. So the Beauty Podcast, Avon is, many people know, you know, a very long established beauty products company who sell largely through representatives, through every, everyday people who uh, sell their products on their behalf. And their challenge in the UK, and it's not necessarily outside, but in the UK, they're seen as very old fashioned. They're seen mm. as makeup for people who are perhaps uh, on the older end of the age range. They're not seen as a particularly trendy brand. So they wanted to choose podcasts to try and address that image and also to get themselves into conversations that they otherwise wouldn't be involved with. So the first approach of that was was quite talent-led. We had been speaking to Sally Hughes. Sally Hughes is The Guardian's beauty columnist and really, really well-respected within the the industry and someone that Avon had been wanting to work with for a long time. And Sally, coincidentally, had approached us wanting to do a podcast to some degree. And it's quite rare that that sort of serendipity happens, but it Mm, did. mm. Um, So we brought those two people together. And what you've got in Sally is a really well-respected expert with a huge social following, which is obviously where a lot of the value comes from with a presenter like that, and huge credibility and contacts within the industry. So we were able to, for instance, create, we we created a podcast where each episode had a different topic in beauty. And some of those were quite standard. So wedding beauty, for instance, how to do your wedding makeup. But Sally's contacts were so extraordinary that our guest for the wedding makeup episode was Hannah Martin, who did Kate Middleton's wedding makeup for the biggest wedding that's happened in the last 30 years. So those sorts of contacts are really valuable. Hmm. But we also went into areas and we sat down and did a format and and challenged Avon to say, okay, what conversations are you now not currently part of? And their diversity was really difficult. So, you know, they were essentially aiming at an older, quite, white middle-class audience and they wanted to break out of that so we created episodes about trans beauty and Mm. episodes about how to deal with black hair and and those sorts of things where again avon are not normally part of those conversations but by inviting people in from with those areas of expertise and being able to use sally's social media presence it created a buzz around it and it created, uh, it reached an audience that Avon otherwise wouldn't have come across. So the process was quite straightforward in that there were a client who were really keen to experiment and, and say, push the boundaries of what they were talking about. We had a brilliant presenter who was willing to use her social platform to push it. The one thing that we would all say, everyone who's involved in that product, in that podcast, is that it didn't really push product. The temptation is there for a brand to, you know, try selling loads of product off the back of it. Mm. And so the brand presence was quite subtle, perhaps too subtle in retrospect, but you don't feel like you're being bashed over the head with, hey, try this makeup, try this lipstick. We featured products from other brands counterintuitively, Mm. but Avon were happy to do that. 
as long as they were part of that wider conversation. That's Avon. Parliament Explained was one of our really early ones. And yeah, so the UK Parliament is distinct from the UK government. So we're not creating a podcast about the government of the time. We were creating a, a podcast where the truth is, I'm sure this is true in any democracy, particularly in this country, people aren't aware really of how the democracy works. You're, you know, you're sort of, you understand the politics, but do you understand how to change the law? Do you understand how people become members of parliament? Do you understand how the House of Commons and the House of Lords work together? And that's quite fascinating. And it also plays into people's hunger for kind of historical and political content. So yeah, we created something there that really went back to basics. This is what parliament does. This is what an MP does. This is how it works. This is if you wanted to change the law, this is how we did it. And we use case studies. We, we use case studies a lot in our podcast because, again, that's how to get from dry corporate conversation into storytelling. Mm. Using case studies enables you to say, to invite someone on in this case who says, I managed to change the law about such and such. It took me a while, but this is how I did it. And uh, I went to my MP and little me in my own little town had a campaign, put a, uh, a pres- um uh, what's the word? A uh, when you have a you get people to sign a petition. petition that's the word. Thank you, Graham. Uh, so yeah, you put a petition together. You take it to your MP. Uh, I clearly didn't learn enough from the podcast that I should have done, <laughs> and and that's how you do it. And, and and so we used a lot of case studies. Again, we used a relatively famous voice in Mira Sayal. And in terms of sign off, it's the one we always use as a yardstick because we had to get every word of that podcast signed off by both the House of Commons and the House of Lords before it went out as a podcast. So whenever anyone says to us, oh, I'm sorry, there's going to be quite an extended sign-off process, we say, do not worry. Let's tell you about the House of uh, of Lords. Those guys take years to pass bills. God knows what it's like. Yeah, exactly. Getting QA done on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. And and we we had uh, representatives of of Parliament sat behind us going through the notes and adjusting the script as it was recorded. So that was pretty intense. Um, okay, so one more Hitachi. The, we create something called the People of Hitachi, which is actually quite a, given that Hitachi are an enormous company who mm. you know build nuclear power stations and trains, uh, the People of Hitachi is actually just a, a small internal piece celebrating members of staff who've been successful and, and been mm. inspiring. And, and uh, it's hosted by an internal client which is often a challenge, but Emily in this case is great. But, you know, helping an internal member of staff to become a, a presenter is often mm. something that we have to be careful with because, you know, there's lots of people there who out there who think they can present podcasts who may not be, actually be the most engaging people or as engaging as they think they are. So um, we go through quite a heavy sort of training process with them, but mm. Emily's great. Again, it's about case studies. So we get people who... Uh, from hit, from within Hitachi, who have one, you know, employee of the year, employee of the month, we talk to them mm. and in the interest of them inspiring other people within the organisation. So, yeah, it, it comes down to stories, and I, I, mm. I, sorry to sort of bang on about it, but that's what we do. We seek out where the stories are within an organisation. Uh, we match those stories with the message that the mm. organization wants to tell, and we try and influence the behavior of the listener as a result of getting those mm. stories. Yeah, I love it. 
there's a really good structure there. The stories, the case studies are examples by which we learn. And, you know, in if you go back thousands of years, the religious texts are just case studies, really. They call them parables, right? You know, yeah. effectively, this is what they are in the audio sense is that, okay, I can tell you about, you know, how to do customer service. But rather than me telling you, let me tell you a story and let's bring in this person who is the living example of that. That's the case study, right? And that, that's kind of yeah. how it works. And sometimes those people are internal. They're from the client. Sometimes mm. they're customers of the client. And, you know, often that's the best way of doing it because you're, you know, having a customer extol the virtues of your organization is obviously fantastic. And sometimes they're partners. So, you know, you can you can bring in other organizations that you've worked with. If you avoid being sort of territorial about your own podcast, mm. you can bring in experts from other organizations that you've worked with who can reflect on projects that you've done together. Firstly, it shows off your expertise. Secondly, it shows off your network. It shows, you know, mm. if you can bring in a really impressive set of third party who you've worked with, who reflect on the work that you've done together and say how great it was and talk about the lessons learned, then that doesn't just show off how great you are. It shows off how great your network are mm. and the way that you work with other people, which often in a B2B context is what you're trying to achieve. Absolutely, yeah. And that I'm going is to start calling them parables, by the way, rather than that's, that's a brilliant way of saying it. <sighs> there you go. Genius. Thank you. There you, well, <laughs> no, you can take full advantage of it because you're the one who can put it into your, your model. And let me tell you about the parables. <laughs> yeah. I love this idea that the internal podcast as well, I've come across a few people doing these in more advanced markets. You know, in the US, I've heard of examples. I've got a a story on age of audio about doing it for taco bell which i thought was awesome you know like right. the guys actually on the road selling stuff you know field sales guys doing a podcast with them i i'm just think that's, that's a bit of an untapped market isn't it that these internal yes. podcasts if you think about especially where we are now in 2021 with like what's happened in the last 18 months that real disconnect people are feeling this is money that would have been thrown at off sites or town halls or you know those awful training days that we all had to endure, you know, but yeah. now it's going to be used in like a really positive way. Do you, I mean, what do you think about this market in terms of growth potential? What else do you think it could be? Yeah, massive. To start with, interestingly, almost all the external facing podcasts that we create, very often the first audience, the, the low hanging fruit is the internal workforce. Mm. You know, we, so if we've got corporates who we work with, I mentioned Shell earlier, 80,000 employees. If they're not, getting their employees to listen to their mm. own podcast to start with, then that's Mr. Trick. You know, you've got a ready-made audience there who presumably would be at least half interested in listening mm. to a podcast that their company's made. You know, that's the first thing to do is not to dismiss your staff as an audience for whatever podcast you make. But yeah, it, it's, there are, there are lots of ways, obviously that organizations communicate with their employees, but the level of engagement that podcasts bring, is so unique against blogs, against videos, against, as you say, sort of staff calls, etc. It's crazy not to take advantage of that. So yeah, we make quite a number of internal podcasts for people. Mm. And they are the the consumption rates that you get from the staff are completely out of kilter with the number of people who might read, you know, read an email from the CEO. Um, Yes, you might, you know, you might read the first half of it and then move on. But 
one of the beauties of podcasting, particularly, you know, thinking in a sort of pre or post COVID world where you've got a, a half an hour at least commute in any direction. Mm. One of the ways that people use podcasts a lot is to say, okay, I've got 20 minutes of dead time on the tube where I can sort of improve myself or I can absorb some information that I wouldn't otherwise take in. And actually using saying, okay, do you know what? On this commute, I'm going to listen to what our CEO has got to say mm. because it's an interesting, you know, it, it's a use of, as I say, otherwise dead time. So it's a really nice way of harnessing that internal network and couching corporate information or internal information in an interesting way. We are about to start work with a government department who are doing exactly this. So they have a, a fortnightly meeting hmm. within their team. And normally it's just them on a Zoom call, which is, again, fine. But what they're doing is, is putting it into a podcast. So that, again, firstly, it's curated. You've got the beauty of being able to edit it before people see it. And people can just consume it in their own time. Hmm. And that's the, you know, again, you stick at about 20 minutes maximum because people aren't going to listen for any more than that. But you can create something that people enthusiastic about listening to on their way home. It has some personality to it. All the rules apply that we've talked about earlier. You know, think about it in advance. Plan what you're going to say. Don't just sit down and say any old crap into a microphone. And then have the sort of self-awareness to edit so that you're taking some of the boring stuff out. You're not coming across as a kind of David Brent character who's just trying to sort of, you know, uh, speak to the, the fans out there within the organization. Create something that's useful, that has some character. And, yeah, it is an untapped market. It's a market that I think people are becoming more and more savvy to. And mm. lockdown, like lots of other things within podcasting, has accelerated that a bit because, you know, you're not able to get together in a room. You're not able to have mm. the as you say, the sort of cringeworthy away days that you would normally have. So let's put that budget oh, into something else. Oh, yeah, God. I'm, I'm um, into that. Happy, happy was, days. Yeah, yeah. I went on, I went on a balloon modeling internal work, <laughs> which was, um, I won't say what organization. <laughs> oh, man. I can imagine just like the cringe level for that. It's just like, yeah, I mean, it was fun. This. It was great, but you know, I, I'm not sure what it achieved. As long as you didn't like the, okay, lean back and fall onto me type of things. Okay. And, um, Neil, I'm sure, like, um, one question for you is like, I know you, you're a guy who has very sort of quite well defined architectures for thinking about podcasts. And, and that sort of reflects very well in the amazing clients that you've got. You know, you, you've really delivered there and um, the quality of the work as well. I, I'm wondering if you're a contrarian in the sense that, you see something in podcasting that others don't or you know do you have an opinion on podcasting which most people disagree the world tends to disagree with you on i think it can perhaps be perceived as as snobbery but i really do believe that broadcast values using people who have come through the ranks of broadcast media has a real value in podcasting rather than the idea that you can just pick up a microphone mm. or, you know, buy a microphone for 500 quid and anyone can do it. I often say, you know, one of the pluses of podcasting is that anyone can do it. One mm. of the massive negatives of podcasting is that anyone can do it yeah. <laughs> because there are so many terrible podcasts out there. And let's, you know, let's not mince words. There are terrible podcasts created by all sorts of people, 
created mm. by you know people in their bedrooms, created by organizations who can't be bothered to pay the money to get it done properly. We still have organizations who come to us and say, we'd like a podcast, please. Can you do it for around £100 per episode? To which yeah. the answer is no, it will be crap. You might as well just go off and do that yourself, and nobody will <sighs> I listen had that to email it. today. Yeah. There you go. There they're still go. going around. Um, that, that company, whoever they are, they're going around yeah, their yeah, houses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm Singapore sure you can now. do it. There are there are people out there. I'm sure offering. <laughs> just pay but, the money. <laughs> pay the money to get it done properly. It means that the recording will be of high quality, not just off you know, some crappy Zoom connection. Yeah. It means that someone will have carried out some thinking before the research takes place. We carry out research calls with pretty much every contributor who comes on our podcast. And I, I say that is to establish what those people are going to be good at talking about, mm. what is going to make some inter interesting content. It also acts as a rehearsal for those contributors before they come onto your podcast. So, um, yeah, this this... I don't know whether it's a contrarian attitude at all. I'd like it to be a mainstream attitude, but pay the money to get it done by people who know what they're talking about and people who will be a partner to you in creating good quality work. What you'll get otherwise is a short-lived podcast that nobody listens to, that you then can't justify the whatever investment, even if it's just investment in time, it will have been a waste of both time and money. Um, so, you know, you need to pay a thousand pounds an episode or more in order to pay good people a good daily mm. rate to produce a good podcast who can then advise you on how to promote it well, who can advise you on your KPIs, on, on whether it's worked or not, who can give you that feedback, who can be an honest partner to say, no, what you've just recorded is boring and therefore we ought to edit 10 minutes out. It might be shorter than you wanted, but it'll therefore be a better listen. And please don't employ a producer who calls themselves a, a podcast producer, but charges you next to nothing because, as I say, they'll be rubbish. I, 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 love, I love the podcast community. I've got loads of, you know. But, I, I but. Well, yeah, you know, but. I like the podcast community. <laughs> okay, I'll get to the but. So I like the podcast community. What I, what I, and actually, I like the community of people who make podcasts frankly, more than the people I, I used to work with in the community who work, who make radio. Because Now we're contrary. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Because there's, <laughs> I want names. Well, I'll tell you, what, I, I tell you okay. the reason for that. Yeah, yeah, no, you're egging me on now, but I'll go with it. So the reason for that is in the world of broadcast radio, there's a limited number of slots. There's a limited yeah. amount of work, and you're all fighting over the same work. And, and therefore, it's really difficult to break into, and it tends to be monopolized by the people who can take the commissioner out for a drink at the right time and can, can have sort of chummy conversations with the people who hold the pots of money. So all of that is, is massively frustrating for those of us who want to, who spent any time trying to break into that space. You're pitching to broadcast corporations who have quite a narrow view of what they want to create, and also slots within radio stations that are designed for a specific demographic of people and therefore they tend to commission the same sorts of ideas so mm. the podcasting community there's almost an unlimited amount of room out there for people there's almost you know anyone can make a podcast there's an almost unlimited number of organizations you could work for who are willing to sponsor podcasts or create podcasts so all of that is great and i do genuinely 
love uh, lots of the people who create podcasts. The, the thing that, as you've already sensed, winds me up the most is uh, <laughs> people who want to commission a podcast but aren't willing to pay for the, the money that buys them quality production. Um, no. And therefore, you know, it's actually meant not as a not as a sort of way of slagging off people who've, you know, tried to pay peanuts in the past. It's more a piece of advice that if you're going to do podcasting, do it properly, for God's sake. Employ yeah. people who know what they're doing. Get a partner because almost every organization that we work for start by saying we've never made a podcast before. Of mm. course they haven't. Podcast, you know, high quality podcasting has only been around at scale for about five years. So, mm. of course, most people haven't made a podcast before. That doesn't mean that it's easy. And it doesn't mean that making a podcast is easy. Making a podcast, making any old podcast, yes, that's easy. Making a good podcast that works is bloody difficult. And actually, most of the effort, most of the time and the money and the value comes before you've opened the microphone. Mm. The value and, and what you're paying someone like us for is the research, the preparation, the thinking about the format, the selection of the presenter, the saying no to people, the dismissing of the presenter who won't be the right person, who won't bring you the value. It's the hard work of spending that time saying what, what are the objectives and how are we going to achieve them. So all of that is, is what you pay someone like us good money for. When we come to open the microphone and actually do the recording and the editing, that's the easy bit. That's the, you know, if you train yourself on Adobe Audition for a week, you'll know how to do that. That's not where the value is. And therefore, if we have clients who think we are expensive or too, you know, too expensive and spent, spend the, val the majority of their time trying to beat us down, they're not the right client for us. Mm. We will, you know, we have sort of resigned clients and handed jobs back because we don't think that they have the right attitude to working with us. The people we love working with are the people who understand the value that we bring and want to create a podcast that, is, that reflects the amount of work that's gone into it. There you go. You set me off. Love it. You've been listening to The Age of Audio with me, Graham Brown, from the award-winning podcast agency Pickle & Co. To get access to all the audio conversations and book content for The Age of Audio, go to www.theageofaudio.com. One more time, theageofaudio.com.